Well, good morning. Praise the Lord. Welcome all. One uh, announcement item that we don't normally make, but we have a few visitors. In theory, when you're going out to the washroom, on your right, it's a little sign, and if it's green, it's vacant, and if it's red, someone's in the washroom. But... Uh, Many of us forget to turn it vacant, uh, turn it uh, red, and or on the flip side when we come back. So it might be handy to check in any case. And the washroom's in the portable for those that haven't been here. Just out up the stairs, and you through the door, and it's the first door to the right. All right. Well. Sean asked me to take care of the preaching this morning because he came down with some kind of cold or flu symptoms, wasn't expecting to be here, so we'll have to wait a couple weeks for him to finish uh, his teaching on the day of the Lord. New heaven and a new earth, I think that's the next topic. And I think he also appreciates the week or two extra as well. So we'll resume our study in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 to 6. In fact, just to help us, um, how shall we break in? Uh, We'll break in at the end of verse 19 of chapter 1. The very last three words to continue our theme. His mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we tremble at the great privilege we have, not only of gathering, and reading and studying the scriptures together, but in our daily lives, having such access to the word of God and the accountability that comes with it. Help us, O oh God, to overcome all and to be faithful in that. and Be with our hearts, our minds, our spirits, now as we look into the holy scriptures to take hold on the truth of thy word. Amen. Amen. 
In chapter 1, seems quite a while ago, we started in Ephesians, and uh, it just seemed appropriate to not relegate Sean to uh, have to space out his um, multi-part messages on the, um, the day of the Lord and the coming of Christ, that we may have forgotten those things that we've looked at in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, introducing the, the, the epistle and the, the subject and the blessings, right? Remember, blessed as a believer, blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. This is Paul writing to the church about what belongs to the believer. He's talking to us not only or not primarily about future things, but things that are accessible and available to us today. Um, Imagine being the heir of a great inheritance, right? Imagine being a very poor person, perhaps homeless, and somebody, some lawyer, some executor of a will, finds you, hunts you down, you know, not not like you hunt an animal to kill it, but tracks you down and tells you you've come into a tremendous inheritance. You have an extremely wealthy relative that you didn't know about who died and has left you um, unspeakable wealth. And, and now he's going to take you to his law office. I guess he's brought you a change of clothes, going to let you have a shower and get you dressed properly. And then he's going to take you and explain to you everything that's yours give you keys and maps and titles and floor plans of buildings and so on and explain to you everything that's yours so that you can go and live in it. And that's kind of what the Apostle's doing for us in his Ephesian letter. Telling you that you have tremendous riches. (laughs) Don't go around in rags. Don't go homeless. Don't cuddle up in a bus shelter, don't sleep in the coach house. (laughs) You have enormous and vast wealth and get using it for the glory of God. That's what he's saying to us. And so he starts telling us about being blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Go through your Old Testament. Every, and I think Storm touched on, you know, the blessings and the cursings of the law. Paul tells us elsewhere that Christ was made a curse for us so that the blessings would come. So you don't count the curses. That's done. People talk about generational curses and all sorts of things. That's dealt with in Christ. You're cut off from all of that. But all of the blessings, every single one of those Old Testament blessings has a spiritual counterpart that is yours in Christ today. Go and live in it. That's the thing. All spiritual blessings. Uh, Look at the keys you've been given. Look at the blueprints. Look at the maps. Then go and walk through the property. And engage in all of the things that are there to do. Uh, It still requires us to do those things. Can't just lie in bed all day and think, wow, I'm really rich. Go and live them. Go and do them. So that's that we've looked at some of those things. He explains to us that we are predestinated unto these things um, by Jesus Christ. Now, we looked at basically two notions of predestination. 
The one is that God has picked out every single person and that's it. They're going. And no matter who tries, how hard, too bad for you, you're not on the list. And that's that. You were foreordained to go to hell before you were born. And there's nothing you can do to change God's mind on that. That is one view on election. You were made, whoever, not you specifically, but whoever, to go to hell just for the glory of God. There are people that believe that whole theological system around that. I don't believe that's what the scripture is teaching. Rather that Christ... Remember the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And you, it were, you were predestinated that whomever believes in Christ shall have all of this. And say, well, what about foreknowledge? Yes, that is correct. God is extremely smart and can't help knowing who's going to choose what. But let no man think that God made you to go to hell against your will. Everybody in hell is there by choice, their own choice. Make no mistake about that, every single person. But here we are, um, God has predestined that all of this should be ours in Christ. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, he's abounded towards us in wisdom, revealing his will. And he's working to a plan that in the fullness of times... All things are going to be gathered together in Christ, in heaven and earth. There's coming an end to this portion of history, where there is an old earth with temptations and trials. He outlines the the purposes of God with with Israel, right? Um, We have an inheritance being predestinated that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, the Jews, in whom ye also trusted, Gentiles. And after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We spent several um, Sundays looking at what it is to be sealed. Right? The stamp of God, the signet. uh, The signature of God and that mark. And with the Holy Spirit, we looked at the promises of God concerning the Spirit. Um, being the earnest, the down payment, the guarantee of the full possession. You get a down payment of God for the full inheritance of God. Paul shares that he's praying for them, that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him. Not an extra spirit, you know, you know, you get your spirit and the Holy Spirit and just layers of spirits on top, but rather we looked at the, um, I think it's Isaiah chapter 11. The seven spirits of God is really the one Holy Spirit expressed in those seven characteristics. We see it in the Revelation, the seven spirits of God. And here Paul is talking about the, um, that uh, function of the Holy Spirit, wisdom and revelation being activated in the believer. Because their eyes have already been opened. They see that Jesus is Lord. And God wants, um, Paul's praying that this understanding of all that's ours in Christ should be functioning in the believers. That we might know what is, and here we started this morning, the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. And he explains that this is the power, the greatest power in the universe. The raising of the dead. Man can create all kinds of nuclear explosions that can blow entire cities up and 
kill all sorts of people, but they cannot go to the graveyard and bring one from the dead. Clothe that person again with flesh, bring their soul. It's the greatest power in the universe to raise from the dead. Now that's the power that's at work in the child of God. John said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And the Christian's mind has to become adjusted to that fact. Brother and sister, never fear the devil. He is included in that list. Fear not them which kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. The devil's in that list. Rather, fear him whom after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell or to destroy body and soul in hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear God. Walk in the reverent fear of God and have no fear of the devil. All right? Greater is he that's in you. The exceeding greatness of his power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and we looked at the majesty of Christ. Exalted, seated at the right hand of the Father. All things under his feet. And then in chapter 2, what we call chapter 2, Paul returns to the theme of the resurrection. Raising from the dead. Right? He's raised Christ from the dead, and he's raised you from the dead. You hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He picks it up again in verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, he's quickened us together with Christ, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. <clears throat> want to look uh, briefly, I suppose, and he does flesh it out, um, What is it to be dead in sins? And then, what is it to be raised with Christ? We want to understand it, right? You're dead in trespasses and sins. There are a couple of of ways to take that, I I suppose. It seems to me that the one is, is misguided. I don't really want to... Dwell on it. He says, dead in trespasses and sins. Dead how? How are you dead? Let's look at a couple of uh, passages, shall we, to, um, to get a, a feel for it. Maybe we'll, we'll do them semi-sequentially. Let's look in Luke chapter 15, shall we? We, we won't take the time to read the passage, and so on. It's a story of the, uh, the gracious father, otherwise known as the story of the prodigal son. He's not the hero at all. The hero's the father. I sometimes refer to it as the, father, the parable of the father with the two lost boys. One lost far away, the other lost close at home. <laughs> well, this, this parable's about the father, not the prodigal. And uh, at the end of it all, this, you know the story, this boy, a young man, has wasted all of his inheritance on sin and uh, wickedness. And he wises up to how wrong that is, and he returns home. And the father throws a party. Music, dancing, fancy clothes, and... um, a feast. 
<clears throat> and the, his elder brother comes in and is angry. And we know the story. <clears throat> and his father went out and entreated him. <clears throat> and he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is, my, is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Right? <clears throat> he was dead and he's alive again. This is the kind of death that um, is alluded to in Paul's passage. Some don't think so. Some think it's you're, you're condemned to damnation and you're, you're, you know, you're going to die. And so it's spoken as a future tense thing. Uh, it's spoken as a present tense thing that is going to happen. So someone that's sinning is going to be killed. The soul that sinneth it shall die. And that's what is meant by being dead in sin. I believe that is entirely misguided and to miss what is primarily in view. This boy, as long as he was living a life of sin, was dead to righteousness. It was as if righteousness didn't exist or so far as righteousness was concerned, he didn't exist because he had nothing to do with righteousness. Paul Paul puts it this way, uh, uh, somewhat differently. The scriptures often will put the same thing in multiple ways. In, in writing to the Galatians, I believe it's the Galatians. Hmm. No, it's, it's going to be the Philippians, I beg your pardon. Where is it? I was looking at it this morning. Maybe it is in the Galatian letter. There it is. Sorry about that. Galatians 6, chapter verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Right? That's pretty, pretty vivid. <laughs> um, Paul saying, I am so finished with this world and everything it has to offer it's as if I've crucified it or God has crucified it for me and the world is so rejecting of everything that I now am and stand for that it's as good as already crucified me there is a just like we are dead to one another it's that kind of thing that is in view in, uh, in the Ephesians that Paul's writing to you were dead in trespasses and sins. He takes it out this way in his letter to the Romans. Now it's past tense, but it's good to understand what's going on and in what way, if we understand in what way we were dead, then we'll understand in what way we were alive. Romans chapter 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead? 
to sin live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is the same thing Paul has in view. And he goes on, the old man is crucified with him. Verse 7, verse 6, our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. If we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Right, and he goes on, the permanence of death, the... um, (laughs) The, the thoroughness of it. didn't say sin's power has been reduced. And it kind of like, you know, it, so many people have a wrong idea. They think like sin's been stuffed into this box. And it's like this cat that's trying to bust out of the lid. And you're trying to keep a cat in a cardboard box. And out comes a claw. And you, you know, there's this endless stuffing the thing in the box. This is a completely wrong concept. It's not the truth. It's factually incorrect. But if you believe it, that's what your experience will be. In fact, the problem for so many people is that's how they feel. And so they retool their theology to live by their feelings. This is devastatingly um, fraught with problems and failure. We need to understand what's happened to us so that we can uh, do what we're told to do. Walk in newness of life. Right? He died, verse 10, unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. This is not talking about condemnation and the final judgment and being cast into hell kind of an idea. He's talking about animation. Right? Life. Quick means live. Living. So something is either animate, it has life, or it's inanimate. Something's alive or it's dead. It has the possibility of vivacious, alive, in this world, right? Um, As opposed to completely gone and buried. So those are the two things, those are the figures that are used to help us understand what was going. Uh, And he explains to us here in Romans 6, now we're not primarily in Romans 6, that's an exposition all on its own, but it'd be very profitable to read it. Um, but Paul takes it for granted that we, we understand these things. Um, in verse, uh, verse 20, when you were, the, well, perhaps we'll read some for context. So we'll go into verse 20, though. So let's carry on. Uh, verse 10, in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. I'm going to pause there very briefly, because it may need explaining for some. All right? So he died unto sin once. It's never happening again. He liveth unto God. That's unchangeable. That's Christ, and that's the believer in Christ. That's what he's trying to get us to think. Think the truth. Um, Reckon. I'm sure we've all heard it before. That's an accounting term. If he was speaking casually, he'd say, do the math. And come to the 
the bottom line and realize you are actually, factually, in reality, dead to sin. The problem with most Christians is they don't really believe it. They believe it's not really real, but we're supposed to be. I don't know the contortions people get into. But you and I have got to come to this understanding that this is a fact, not a theory. This is the reality. All right? And Jesus Christ lived like this, brethren. Shall, shall we walk through it in our minds? Uh, okay. Uh, remember when Christ was called to a dead girl? Remember? Everyone's mourning and hullabaloo. Remember? And he said, why make ye this ado? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Was the Lord Jesus telling the truth or not? He was telling the truth. So, but everything about their human experience told them she is dead. And my question to you, brother and sister, is who would you have believed? The mourners or Jesus Christ? The sight of your eyes and the mourners saying, this is a stone-cold dead person? Or Jesus Christ said, no, she's not dead at all. She's sleeping. Watch this. This is, this is the same thing. People, they feel impulses or whatever and think, my flesh is very much alive, my old man's alive. I don't know what this theology means, but it doesn't mean that it's dead because it's not. You're like the people who believe that girl was dead and you don't believe that Jesus, you don't believe Jesus when he says, no, she's just asleep. You and I have to learn to believe Jesus Christ and nothing else and no one else. He is Lord of all. All right. What about Lazarus? Um, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. I go to wake him out of sleep. And he comes there and everyone's a weeping. Oh Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't die. And he's grieved. You don't know. If thou knewest. Could he have said this to them? If thou knewest the gift of God. He said it to a woman earlier by a well. If thou knewest, I am the resurrection and the life. What are you weeping for? Right? Christian, believe the Lord Jesus. And he has said that all that are in me are baptized into my death. And they're risen with me in resurrection, life, and power. Do you believe it? There could have been a shout of amen, jumping on the pews, hallelujahs. I mean, I know we're not Pentecostals, but it would have been okay. Do the math. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed in reality unto sin and in reality alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's building. This is why I find Paul so easy. Builds one thing after another. Very easy to follow. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. He's acknowledging your mortal body is going to experience these various desires. You don't have to have it. Don't let it. No. Why? Because you're dead to sin. You haven't got to have it. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Your mind is a member of your body, by the way. It's part of your brain. Don't yield it unto sin in your thoughts. Your eyes, don't let them lead your mind into sin. 
Don't yield them, but yield them unto God. Hey, you brothers, let me help you with something. I mean, um, some people tell me I'm naive or idealistic. But what I'm about to say, I would expect would be unnecessary in this company. But Peter said, I'll stir up your minds even though you know the truth. So uh, when, I li- when we lived in the city, the city is a filthy place. And they have billboards and signs with uh, uncleanness, right? Indecency that appeal to the lust of the flesh. And you've got an eye, even if you don't want to look at the thing, you've seen it, and it can dwell in your memory. And I used to call, whenever I would see something defiling, I would call to my memory my wife's lovely smiling face, and it would blow every other recollection out like chaff before the wind. And I would just go happily on my way. This is a practical thing. Think on what things are good. And my wife's smiling face was a very good thing for me to think on. It was very lovely, pure love. All of those things in one image. It was great. And that, um, that was just like a broom to sweep the nastiness uh, out, out of my visual memory on my way to work. Right. It's a practical tip. Um, there. But uh, so I'm not yielding my members instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but I'm yielding it unto God as one alive from the dead. Right? Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law but under grace. Understand what that means. It doesn't mean because the standards are lighter. It means because you're not left trying to do it under your own strength, which you can't, but the grace of Christ and his powers in you, enabling you to live righteously. Standards are not lower. The means are different. And he says, well, we're not going to sin. He goes again, don't you know? Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. God be thanked, you were the servants of sin. So he's changed metaphors from dead and live to slave and free. It's the same concept, different metaphor, right? We'll see that in Ephesians. In Ephesians, he'll talk about the body of Christ, which is the church. Then he'll talk about the temple of God, which is the church. He'll talk about the family of God, which is the church. Those are three different metaphors for the same thing. And here he's using two different metaphors for the same thing. Death and resurrection, slave and free, servant and free. You were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. So death in sins and resurrection in new life in Christ has now been likened unto bondage as a slave and liberty as a free man. It's the same truth in view, different metaphor. Being made free from sin, you became servants, slaves of righteousness. And in verse 19 he says, I speak after the manner of men. I'm just putting this in human language because of the infirmity of your flesh. He's writing to Romans, Gentiles, pagans, discreetly chatting yesterday at one of the meals, you know, explaining that our society today is not nearly as unclean and degraded as the Roman society in the first century. Hard for some of us to imagine. And and they say, but they had this, yeah, yeah. Everything that the Israelites were told not to do was being done by the Canaanites. And many of them were still being done by the Romans uh, in the first century. 
And these Romans had been engaged in all of the corruptions of carnal Roman society. Be like somebody getting saved now out of the world and he's been a drunk and a drug uh, user and given to strange flesh, let's just put it that way, and all sorts of things. Their whole physical being is depraved and it has all of these desires for these unclean things. Their physical bodies are. And Paul's saying, I'm putting it in these terms because of the infirmity of your flesh. As you have yielded your members, servants, to uncleanness, so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness, unto holiness. Do what the word of God says. And here's the verse we're coming to. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. When you were dead in sins, You were dead to God. You were alive unto sin and dead to God. Now you're alive unto God and dead to sin. You were bound by sin and free from righteousness. Now you're bound by righteousness and free from sin. That's the thing. Okay. Now live in it. These are part of the keys. This is a part of the title deed. This is part of the floor plan, the the lot plan, the map. Of this inheritance that's yours. This is all just part of it. And the apostles laying it out. So this is where we're at in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Which is our our reference this morning. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Right? You were dead to righteousness. You were dead to the living God in the sense that you were cut off from his commandments. You weren't serving him. You were were fully immersed in your life of sin. Trespasses against the commandments of God and sin falling short of his glory in everything you did. He's made you alive, holy, righteous. Wherein... And he he, he fleshes this out a bit. In time past, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There's some profound things there, profoundly wicked. The course of this world, right? Ye walked according to the course of this world. Now, and he says in verse 3, among whom we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh. So, I hope this isn't a controversial thought to us. Sometimes, All doesn't mean all. Right? We're used to that in the Bible. It's a generalization. And when it does mean literally every single person, the Bible says so. Maybe we don't like that. I mean, you say, well, uh, an example that comes to mind, behold, all the world has gone after him. Right? Well, these these words were said by men who weren't going after him. It's a generalization. Now... All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's true. 
But Paul here is writing to people whom he will say in um, chapter, uh, chapter 6 and verse 4. Ye fathers, bring up your children. I'm splicing a couple of phrases together to get the truth of it here in quickly. Bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So a child that is brought up from its infancy in the Lord doesn't walk according to the course of this world. I know they need to be born again. I'm not getting at that. Right? And so Paul's not talking about that. He's speaking about the generality that we were all as adults outside of Christ. Um, and that is the, historically, that's what had happened. Remember, uh, none of these people had been brought up Christians. This is young in the history of the gospel. They had been brought up in the world. And to the world as it then was, the gospel was new. And that's the context. It would be true for most of us. But there are some people that have been brought up in the Lord. The hymn writer says, From my earliest days I sing of thy praise, ever near to allure and defend. Hitherto thou hast been my preserver from sin, and I know thou wilt save to the end. A little child brought up, trained before he can even make a decision for himself to, to sing the praises of God, to study, uh, to, to read and, and recite and quote scripture, to obey mother and father. And then as he grows and seeks to be faithful in all of those things, becomes acquainted with the inward corruption of his own being and turns quickly to Christ and finds that cleansing. This one has never walked according to the course of this world. He's been brought up in the Lord. And Paul's not addressing every possible eventuality. He's speaking about the world as it then was and as what is commonly experienced. All right? Let's be clear on that. We all lived according to the course of this world. <laughs> the course of this world. Think of it. What does that mean? The course of this world. Now, the details of our society, in many respects, our technology, is vastly different from uh, that in the times of the apostle. But it's the same course that the world is on. Have you thought about that? We look at a couple of things, the underlying principles that are the same today. They've been the same for thousands of years. In Genesis chapter 11. Right? Now, God had said to Adam... And Eve, be fruitful and multiply. And he had said to them, of all the trees of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I think it says, within the, that's in the midst of the garden, that tree you may not eat. From the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So he blessed them, told them to be fruitful, gave them a commandment, and Satan enticed the man through his wife, and he disobeyed God. And here we are. <clears throat> and we don't have the time to try and plumb the mystery of how and why that came to be. 
But here now, after the flood, chapter 9, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. <clears throat> and um, he, he establishes a covenant with Noah and so on. And, uh, and there it is. In chapter 11, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, as we would say in English, or Shinar, I think, in a more Hebraic pronunciation. I could be wrong. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, as we would say, come on. Let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord intervened, and here we are. He intervened in the garden. After man disobeyed, he drove him out of the garden. Things had changed through man's disobedience. Here, they've, they, the whole earth was of one language, but they united to try and establish themselves without God. And God intervened disperse them through a division of language. The course of this world. Let us build a city and a tower that goes to heaven. And let us make us a name. Right? Heaven on earth without God. Utopia. Right? We're going to do this. Let's do this. We're going to do this. We're going to sort it all out, get it right, and be established. That's the course of this world. <laughs> Even, I don't know what you think of these things, you know, the World Economic Forum and the, the One World Government and Agenda 2030 in the United Nations and uh, sustainable development and, you know, control 15-minute cities and eat bugs and, and, and all of those things that the, the world planners right now, I think, as we're meeting here, the Bilderberg Group is meeting, their 63rd meeting or something or other. And they're all these, um, and our deputy prime minister is supposedly there. And all of these um, elite people planning what everybody in the world, how we're going to live like little rabbits in our hutches while they enjoy the planet of which they are worthy, right? The kingdom of man. And they're organizing and loads of people think, oh yeah, it's good, we're going to save the planet and, and so let's all eat bugs and drive Teslas and so on. It's the course of this world, right? Solve these problems is what the masses think. Manipulate these masses is what the very wealthy, and as the Bible says, rich men oppress you. They keep back the rich men. They, they, they hire of the reapers that have reaped your fields is kept back by you through fraud. It's common for rich people to exploit the laborers. They don't need the money, but they want it anyway. Make the poor poorer and themselves richer. This has been going on forever. The course of this world. The pomp and ceremony. Remember when Herod made an oration unto them and, uh, and the people shouted, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. And the angel of the Lord smote him. He's eaten of worms. Josephus adds more detail to that. Herod was dressed, I think it was in silver clothing. And so as he turned and moved, the light from the sun made him look like a resplendent being. He did look like a God. 
And the men of this world love to dwell in their, in their luxury and their pomp and their multi-million dollar yachts and live in luxury, their private jets, the well-to-do, the course of this world, and people go after them. They, they either esteem them or they buy lottery tickets or whatever. The course of this world, um, they, they're, they're uh, utopias that they're trying to build. Or the poor person. Look at the Lord's words in the Sermon on the Mount. The course of this world. Living for riches, for glory, for might, for stability. Economic stability. Matthew 6 verse 19 Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moss and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also And again, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or mammon, God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? And he goes on, taking thought. Verse, uh, verse 31, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Here's our verse. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That's the course of this world. The rich establishing their kingdom and might. The, the, the commoners, as we are called, um, admiring them or despising them, but everybody seeking what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to have laid up for us in our old age. Material gain. Financial stability. It's the course of this world. The devil even tried it on with Jesus. He took him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. If I understand what the scriptures are teaching, this um, was not meant to be thought of as a literal place. I don't think there is a literal mountain where you could behold all the kingdoms of the world. This happens in the spiritual realm, like Ezekiel's visions and so on. Satan was given the power to to manipulate the Lord's um, consciousness into these realms and his pure, holy righteousness repelled him nonetheless. All these things will I give unto you. It was a horrible temptation. Christ knew that he was um, prophesied to be king of kings. All of these kingdoms were to be his. And Satan was saying you can have it without the pain. You can avoid the cross. He still tries to do that to Christians today. Avoid the cross. This is the way of the world. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. The course of this world. 
verse 21. From that time Jesus began to tell his disciples, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. The course of this world. Not having a cross and humiliation and pain and rejection. We want a triumphant entry into Jerusalem with hallelujahs and, and the, 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 you know, a ticker tape parade if they were Americans. And a big band. The course of this world. What the eye sees. You see it all through the gospels. He did a miracle and they perceived it. And they were going to come and by force take him and make him a king. The course of this world. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life. The lust of the flesh. Pride of life. Mm. Ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the one behind it all. Spiritual wickedness in high places, the apostle will tell us later. Satan there influencing the hearts and minds of men because they are um, rejecting of the spirit of God. So they're susceptible to his influence. The prince. Now we struggle. Well, I shouldn't insult you. I struggle consciously with this word because, you know, I was raised... Like a a good colonialist, right? The prince would be the son of the king or queen. Prince Charles is now King Charles. But that, I believe, is actually the sixth definition of the word. But the first five, perhaps it's a fifth. At least the first four, I think it's the first five. The prince is another word for king. It's the supreme one. And when you see that word in your Bible, prince, it means supreme. It's a synonym for king. It's not like the number two, you know, the king's son, the prince, as we use it today. And we only seem to use it in normal society speech to distinguish between the king and his son, the prince, the king, the prince. That's wrong. The Bible, the prince, the prince is a synonym for the king, the primary one, the supreme one, the preeminent one. Satan, the God of this world, Lord Jesus refers to him. In, uh, in John, when he's there at the end with his disciples. Chapter uh, 14, verse 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. How did the prince of this world come? He came in a traitor and with a mob that was rejecting a humble Messiah that would minister to the poor that would heal the blind, that would call out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, that would tell them to give their money to the poor and to get off their high horse and and loving fancy titles. The prince of this world, right? He was coming. This is the course of this world, brethren. It's all there, fancy titles and wanting preeminence and prominence in the high places. Searching for, you know, worried about where our next meal's coming from. It's all the course of this world. That was the first thing. Notice the link and the proximity between dead in trespasses and sins and loving this world and the things of it. The course of this world is following Satan. 
the prince of the power of the air. I mean, evil spirits got to be somewhere at some point in time when they're not infecting human souls in the atmosphere. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. All right, do you see the progression in this thought? This world is on a course and you see all of the things that matter to it. And that is as a result of them following the prince of this world, who is Satan. And in fact, his spirit works in the children of disobedience. Doesn't mean they're all devil possessed. That is a specific, horrible state. But they're partaking of that spirit, they're part of that movement. It's a multifaceted movement. It has many various flavors, but it's all in this um, uh, anti-God, even while professing to love him. Disobedience. Say, well, a lot of people are ignorant. Yes, they are disobedient to what they know is right. I mean, whether a little or a lot. They'll compromise their principles. They'll do things they know are wrong because they feel good. Because they profit. Pleasures of the flesh. They're disobedient to uh, the knowledge of what's right and wrong. We don't have time to go there again. Romans chapter 1 lays it out. The invisible things are known from the creation of the world. Disobedient. The children of disobedience. They are uh, walking according to this world. And then, lest we be prideful, right? Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. He describes here in general terms. In the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Nor by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I would understand that word, the lusts of the flesh, as the whole person being carnal, sold under sin. And then he breaks it into the two categories of the carnal person. Bodily desires and mental and emotional desires. Both of those lusts being the lusts of the flesh. He's not just repeating the same thing twice. Um, Paul writes it to Titus. Uh, He expands upon it a little bit. He puts it the same idea this way. In uh, Paul's epistle to Titus chapter 3. When he's reminding, he's telling Titus, remind everyone of their duty, you know, to be good citizens and kind people, right? Speak evil of no man and so on. And he gives a reason, verse 3, for we ourselves, showing all meekness, right? Showing all meekness to all men. Why? Because we used to be just like them. Being meek to all, right? We also ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient. Deceived, serving divers lusts, right? Various lusts and pleasures. Living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. I want to focus on that word pleasures for a bit, brethren. Because it's this that we are most in peril of as Christians. We get it. We're going to stay away from uncleanness, right? Right? Use a telephone, 
whether it's a smartphone or a dumb phone, a landline or an airline, cell phone. It's a tool to communicate. I guess it's a pocket computer. You can get your email and your news on it. But you don't look at wickedness on it, right? You're going to hell if you do. Make no mistake. You're viewing pornography on your phone. You're a wicked fornicating adulterer and you're going to hell. You better know that. It's wicked. Don't do it. That word pornography is from the Greek word pornea, which means fornication. Not an accident. All right? And anyone that ever does that needs to repent. Maybe get rid of the phone. But pleasures. <laughs> Name them. Fishing, lying in a hammock, uh, steak dinner, you have some more, make sure we're all still awake, name a pleasure, a non-sinful pleasure, new car, so these aren't sins, yeah, pleasures don't have to be sins, what a miserable life if all pleasure was sin. That would be pretty harsh, eh? Lord, end it quick. Right? That's what we'd be thinking. But <laughs> serving diverse lusts, and we think, well, that's evil, and pleasures. It's part of the course of this world. Living for pleasure. Air conditioning. A nice toasty fire. So, well, that's, those aren't sins. Okay, and I'm not saying, you know, just get rid of the heat in your house, keep it at one degree so your water doesn't freeze and just shiver your life away. That's not, that's not what I'm getting at. We're addressing that men and women outside God are looking for an easier, pleasurable life. That's all part of the course of this world. The Christian is dominated by one thought, serving God. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. We receive whatever he gives us. And in temperance, we know we need sleep. Some of us are smarter at that than others. But we all know, in at least theory, that we need sleep. Some of us forget that fact. But we're not going to lie in, you know. What's it the old preacher said? Sleep, you know. Temperance. Seven hours for men. Eight hours for women. And nine hours for fools. Now that's a bit harsh. And he's not writing the Bible maybe. But you know. Excessive sleep. It's pleasure. A Christian doesn't want to sleep more than necessary. Because he wants to serve Christ. Christian doesn't want to eat himself. Into a super size. Because he wants to serve Christ. He's not living for pleasures. He's living for Christ. Uh, but the unbeliever who's disobedient, walking after the course of this world, is living for pleasure. Whose God is their belly, Paul said, who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. And so, he said, we all used to be like this. 
fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, pampering ourselves, whether you're a Stoic or an Epicurean, right? The Stoic liked it hard, you know? Wooden floor, that's what I'm sleeping on. The Epicurean, the softest feather bed. Different philosophies, but they're still all of the flesh. It's them getting their easy way through life. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This, we were naturally inclined to it. Our corrupt hearts and our corrupt flesh, we willingly gave ourselves to, even knowing it was wrong. We were just like them. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Doesn't that make you go to John 3.16? Oh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Could do another few hallelujahs there too, eh, brother? <laughs> Whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We were just like them all. All of these, can you imagine? We could have been, you know, weird colored, mixed up people. Weird colored, I meant weird colored hair. I think the full sentence only says, you know, dyeing your hair purple. What is wrong with you? No doubt someone will listen to this and get offended. But, you know, it's just unnecessary. We could have been confused about life, about the basics, as people today are getting confused about the basics. We could have been just like that. We were hateful. You see neighbors fighting. It's been, I don't remember some of the names, but I know brethren who used to actually get into fisticuffs, both get saved, and now they embrace in the love of Christ. We were just like them, right? Living for these things. And let's never forget it. Let's have that attitude towards the lost. This winsomeness, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not this, let us, God forbid, brethren, we should go from being vile, condemned sinners to prideful Pharisees. Isn't that awful? Looking down on people, criticizing them, judging them. No, friend, let me tell you what Christ will do for you. Let me tell you about God's love for you. Let me tell you how you can be completely disburdened of your guilt, be washed inside and made a new creature in Christ. It's wonderful. We're like those four lepers outside the gate, right? And we got nothing to lose. We went, we found a feast and we went back to tell everyone. Uh, may self-righteousness, self-righteousness is far from the Christian that walks with Christ. Let's put it that way. May it be far, very far from any of us. God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. And then came and told us all about it. Baptized into his death. Raised with him in newness of life. God did all of that while we were wallowing in the pig pen. And came and preached it to us. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. Comfort ye my people. Right? Saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that our warfare is accomplished. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? 
This is where Paul is reminding us all, when you were dead in sins, he's quickened us. Look, it's not just forgiveness. He's quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I can't help but think that the apostle is weaving the literal resurrection of Christ into this. Quickened us, alive. Can you imagine Jesus awakening from the dead in the tomb? And he takes off, or the angels come and unwrap him, whatever, and they fold up the face cloth. Not, hmm. I know some people have their ideas about it, but the whole point is it was one more indication that thieves had not robbed the body. The orderliness that the napkin about the face was folded up is evidence that this was not a grave robbing. Everything would have been a tumble if it was. That's the purpose of that. It's not the Lord at the dinner table leaving his hanky there so you know he's coming back. Anyway, people do invent. People do have their inventive ways of making things up. But Christ, he's alive in the tomb. He's risen, right? The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared unto Simon. He appears to them. Raised us up to, right? He's quickened. When we're dead, quickened together. There's Christ alive in the tomb. Raised us up together. He's out and about. And made us sit together in heavenly places. There, this same Jesus, as you've seen him go into heaven, in like manner you'll come. He's pointing us to the awakening from the dead. And the raising and coming forth. And the ascension into heaven. Stephen said as he was being about to pass from this life. Said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. That's where the Christian is. In Christ. And Paul is trying to direct our attention. Look, look, here's your title deeds. Here's the, the, the map of the grounds. Here's the floor plan of the house. You're seated with him in the heavenly places. You're above all of the evil uh, of this world. You're an heir of the king. Acquaint yourself with things that are in heaven. Live as Christ on the earth with the resources he's given you. He's given you the Holy Spirit. You have access to the Father. Made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I have some awareness of what the theologians call, you know, this paradox. The already not yet kind of thing. Raised, so that's already done, but it's not yet. It's a future date. Well, I prefer not to be a theologian and just receive the word of God. You're seated with him. Paul writes this way to the Colossians. Chapter 3 in Colossians, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. See, they're accessible to you now. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Therefore, get your life in order. Mortify your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, all that. 
Put that to death. Don't let any of that be in your life. In writing to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 20, our conversation is in heaven. That's where our life is right now. From whence also do we look for the Savior? And even the, the Lord Jesus speaking through the revelation to John and through John to the churches. At the end, to the Laodicean church, the church that would most nearly reflect us as North American Christians, um, rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold. That's precious faith. Tried in the fire of affliction and temptation, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And, and he goes on. He's writing to Christian people. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. That was the last. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. That was the last those were the last words of the last epistle to the churches. I'll grant you to sit with me in my throne if you'll overcome. Paul saying it's been done, walk in it. And we'll look at those in the subsequent chapters, right? You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were living according to the course of this world. You were walking in lusts of the flesh. You were a child of disobedience. But God saved you in Jesus Christ. And look, he's raised you up to walk in newness of life. You're sat together with Christ in the heavenly places. That's your position, Christian. Live like it. In subsequent verses and chapters, he'll tell us how. Let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> o oh Lord, thou hast made thy people very rich. May thy spirit press it on every heart. Oh, may each of us have grace, Father, to keep thy word in our hearts. Through the ordinary Events of a day, Lord, and our attention, hour after hour, is taken on this and that. Oh, may we hear that spirit that brings thy words to our minds and live as children of God. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Uh, we commend one another to thee and to the word of thy grace. To keep each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. And we are dismissed. <clears throat>